0: Well, I invite you to bow your heads with me, and we will start with a brief word of prayer, and then we'll get into our study together today. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can come into your presence together as a church family. There's no better place to be on a Sabbath morning than with the family of God. But, Lord, we don't assemble ourselves so much for the fellowship as we do because we want to hear a word from you. And so, Father, we stand and we sit here in anxious anticipation, knowing that we are going to hear you speak to us through your word. So take my dead words, Lord, and breathe life into them, I pray. May we be drawn closer to Jesus, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis, the 6th chapter. We are going to add a little bit more detail into the study that we had together last week. Uh, This is a continuation of that. This morning's presentation is entitled, The Faces of the Wicked. The Faces of the Wicked. Last week, we looked at the face of the righteous, the righteous man, Noah. This morning we're going to do what maybe we haven't done before and we're going to look and into the face of those that were on the outside those who chose not to listen to the man of God in the message that came from God. Genesis 6, 5 and 6 is a quick review here. The Bible says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of, man, thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. The Bible tells us that when God looked upon the earth, it made him sorry that he had created man. It had gone so bad, it had gotten so uh, bad in the world, so wicked, that as the Lord looked upon the earth, it made him sorry. In fact, we're told in the spirit of prophecy that it delighted, or that for the wicked people, they delighted to put God out of their minds. That's how wicked it had become. It had brought pleasure to them. It made them joyful to take God and to put him out of their minds the thoughts of man the bible tells us were only evil continually and i think we are at that day and age right now we're living at that time and if we are living at that time we ought to be living like the righteous man Noah. In our study together last week, we looked at a quick biography of this man, and the Bible tells us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in verse 8. And then in verse 9, it gives us a little character sketch there, and we added some more details from other places in the Bible. But we found that Noah was a righteous man, or he was a just man. He was perfect in his generation, not in any other generation, but in the most wicked generation. He walked with God as his great-grandfather Enoch walked with God. He was obedient to all of God's commands, not just some of them. He was a preacher of righteousness, and the Bible tells us that Noah was a man of action. He didn't just preach. He didn't just talk, but he did. He did what he was convicted about. Noah was a great man of God that you and I would do well to emulate. As I studied this out in the spirit of prophecy, looking for all of the different references on the flood in the life of Noah, I found it very interesting that there was passage or quote after quote after quote that described how the wicked people viewed Noah, how they looked at him. And as I saw these different statements, I kind of gathered them together, kind of compiled them together because a thought struck me that if this is the way the wicked people viewed Noah, that's the way the world is going to view me in the last days. So I might as well get ready, right? Listen to this. I'm I'm just putting this together in a little collage, if you will the wicked people, they thought that Noah was insane. They thought he was what? They thought he was insane. They thought he was egotistical. They thought he thought more of himself than he should. They thought his doctrine was fanatical and an illusion. They thought that he was a fanatic. They scoffed him and jeered him. They were impatient with him. They rejected his message, and ultimately Noah became an object of contempt And derision, that is an explanation of how the world is going to view you if you are faithful to God in the last days. And in my mind, I say, bring it on, because the Lord is going to be with his people. We don't have anything to fear, but this is what's going to happen. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a challenge, but God is going to strengthen us as we go through this. You know, as I looked at that that little lineup, of all those different uh, ex- uh, or description of how they viewed Noah. It kind of reminded me of how they treated Jesus. You, know, you look at the Gospels, right? You know, they treated Jesus in much the same fashion. If they treated Noah that way, if they treated the Old Testament prophets that way, if they treated Jesus that way, is it going to be any different for me? Is it going to be easy street for me? Absolutely not. But the Lord will sustain us as we go through those times. In fact, notice our Scripture reading again. You can just jot this down. Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 12. I love this passage of Scripture. The Bible says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Was Noah a righteous man? Was Noah a preacher of righteousness? And the Bible says that those who are righteous are going to be persecuted, right? But the Bible says that those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, what's the first word in that Bible passage? Blessed are they. There's a blessing that comes to those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Would you say amen to that? Blessed are you when you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say I'm sorry uh let me con- finish verse 10 I jumped to verse 11 Blessed are they when uh w- blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake What's the next word What's the next word How easy is it to rejoice when you're being persecuted how easy is it to rejoice when you're being reviled? How easy is it to rejoice when you're going through time of tribulation and difficulty? How easy is it to rejoice when the whole world views you as a uh, crazy person who has just lost their mind? It's not easy, right? But the Bible tells us to rejoice. Why should we rejoice? It says, "Rejoice and be exceeding glad." For what? For what? Great is your reward, where? In heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Rejoice when that time of persecution comes. Remember, that's something that can only come from keeping your eyes on that which is above and not on this earth. That's the only way that you can rejoice in being exceeding glad in a time of persecution. If you just get caught up with what's going on and how people are treating you and what people are saying about you, calling you a fanatic, calling you crazy, if you get caught up in what's going on towards you, you will lose your faith in God. But if you, as Noah, keep your eyes upon God and, and, and the reward that is coming, great is the reward the Lord has prepared for us in heaven, we can rejoice and be exceeding glad. <laughs> Listen to this. This is from 10 Manuscript release, page 371. It says this, Noah was tested and tried. What was Noah? Tested and tried thoroughly. And yet he preserved his integrity in the face, listen to this, in the face of a world all, all against him. Thus will it be when the Son of Man shall be revealed. How much of the world was against Noah? All the world will be against him, or was against him, and all the world will be against us. But yet the Bible says, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Listen, it wasn't easy what Noah went through, but the Lord sustained him, and he found grace in the eyes of God. The thing struck me, as the time of the flood got closer and closer, Noah got further and further away from the world. But as the time of the flood got closer and closer, the world became more and more polarized in their quest of rebellion. So as the end came, the two groups were, going, were getting further and further apart. They were going in opposite directions. Noah was becoming more like a man of God that God wanted him to be. The world was becoming more and more like the devil that they chose to follow. As, as the time of this world draws to a close, God's people should be becoming more like him and less like the world. Amen? Amen. Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We should have a love for God and the things that are from above. I'm going to share with you this morning two universal principles that are without exception. The first universal principle that is without exception is that all who are disobedient will be lost. We learn that in the story of Noah. All who were disobedient in the time of Noah, they were lost without exception. Now, the Bible tells us this. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, you're familiar with the passage, just jot it down. Matthew 24, and verse 29, the Bible says that the flood came and took them all away. Let me ask you a question. Why did the flood come and take them all away? Listen to me carefully. The flood did not come and take them all away because they were sinners. Noah was a sinner, was he not? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the flood came and took them all away because they were rebellious in their disobedience to God and his word. That's why the flood came and took them all away because they were disobedient to God in his commands as you look at the faces of the wicked on the outside of the on the outside of the ark the destruction of the flood was universal whether they were wealthy or poor learned or illiterate zealous in the cause of religion or profane infidels young or old it did not matter what class or social standing they had if they were disobedient they were destroyed on the outside of the ark i want to be sold out for god and be with him inside the ark. Amen? But there's a little word I want you to notice in that passage in Matthew 25 that has big ramifications. The Bible says the flood came and took them all away. Four little words. Who is them? When we look at that passage, we oftentimes, we just have this broad understanding of who them is. The flood came and took them all away. We just say the wicked, the unrighteous people, those who rebelled against God. We just have this generalization of who them is. But this morning, I want you to stand with Noah in the doorway of the ark as he's waiting for God to close it. And I want you to look through his eyes into the faces of the wicked and see who them are that are standing outside of the ark. Because we're told this in 10 Manuscript Releases, page 372, it says, men in Noah's day were not all absolute idolaters. Well, that's interesting. I kind of think in my mind, them on the outside of the ark, they're all Baal worshipers, they're all idol worshipers, they're all godless atheists that are on the outside. Ah, 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 ah. Those on the outside of the ark were not all absolute idolaters. So look through the eyes of Noah and see the faces there with me this morning, if you would. There's four classes of people I want to share with you. There are probably others, but we won't take the time to get into them all. The first thing that we find out is this. In the book of Genesis chapter 5, <clears throat> in the book of Genesis chapter 5, uh, beginning you could begin in verse 28. The um, Bible tells us that Lamech had a son, verse 28 and verse 29. Uh, his name was Noah, named him Noah. And then in verse 30, the Bible says this, And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years and begat what? So Noah was the oldest. He was the firstborn. But we find out from Scripture that Noah had brothers and sisters. Did he not? But let me ask you a question. How many of those brothers and sisters were on the inside of the ark? Not a single one of them were inside the ark. Now, I, I, would, I want to tell you this morning that there were many good people who would have been in the ark when the time of the flood came. But because their life did not allow them to live up to that point, they, were, they, they died before the flood came. Therefore, they were not inside the ark. Methuselah was one of them. Lamech was probably another one. Uh, Noah's father would have probably been in the ark. But they died before the flood came. But Noah's siblings were not found inside the ark. And this strikes me as kind of funny because when I think about Noah's siblings, Noah's siblings, his brothers and his sisters, had all the same opportunities that Noah had, did they not? They had the same father, Uh, they had the same great grandfather, Enoch. They, uh, uh, they had all of the, they had the same grandfather, Methuselah, who probably instructed Noah and the grandchildren in the ways of Enoch, his father. They had all the same opportunities. They were all raised in a good Christian home. They had family that had moral values. They had parents who stood for what's right in the midst of a world that when the Lord looked down upon it, he saw that all there was was wickedness. They were raised in good homes. But when the time came and Noah stood at the top of that ramp going into the ark, as he stood in the shade of the doorway, and he made that last appeal, come in and be you saved, as he preached his last message, Noah's brothers and sisters said no. They persisted in their course of rebellion against God. You know, it's a sad reality, but there will be many people who lose out on the kingdom of heaven who were raised in good Christian homes. There will be many people who will miss out on eternity, who had all of the opportunities at their disposal to make good decisions like Noah did. But because the world presses in around us and influences us and and, and gets our eyes off of God, they will unfortunately miss out on the greatest blessing that God could bestow upon his children, the gift of eternal life. I pray that we will take all of the opportunities that have been afforded us in our childhood, throughout our life, all of the opportunities that have been given to us, and that we would build upon them and make right choices. Those of you that may be a little bit younger here in your age Look back on the opportunities that you have received as a young person, the instruction that has been given to you. Don't let it just fall as dead information in your mind, but take it and apply it in your life and reap the results as Noah reaped the results in his life. As you look outside of the ark, you see there siblings. Can you imagine what went through the mind of Noah when he saw the ark door begin to be closed? The door is closing, he's looking out there, and he knows those brothers and sisters that he will never see their face again. But as Noah searches his heart, he will know that he did everything he absolutely could to try to save them from the destruction that was soon to come. I pray that you and I can say that one day, that we've done everything we can to save our family, to bring salvation to them. As we look outside the ark through the eyes of Noah, we see some other people in the promiscuous crowd that have took their stand on the side of rebellion. As we look out there, we see that there are some well-meaning individuals who we might classify today as Christians. Listen to the message of Noah that he preached day after day for 120 years. They heard the appeals of God. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter six that the spirit of God was, was appealing to the hearts of men in the time of Noah. They heard the message of Noah. They were convicted at that time. And maybe they even came forward for the altar call that Noah made as he stood there in front of the ark, making his appeal day after day. Perhaps that night as they were at home, laying in their bed, in their antediluvian mind, which was so powerful, they could call back word for word what Noah preached that day in the message. And their hearts were stirred. They were convicted. And they said, yes, when that ark is finished, I'm going to walk up that ramp. And I'm going to get inside the ark, and I'm going to be saved, as Noah and his family are saved. Listen to this, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 95. Some were deeply convicted. Some were what? And would have heeded the words of warning. But there were so many, listen to this, there were so many to jest and ridicule that they partook in the same spirit resisting the invitation of mercy and when soon and were soon among the boldest and most defiant scoffers for none are so reckless and go to such lengths to sin as do those who once had the light but have resisted the convicting spirit of god that should give us some pause to think about here a little bit Because the Lord has entrusted us with great light. Would you say amen? Amen. He's given us wonderful light to walk in that path. And if we choose not to follow the light and to walk in that path of light, we may one day become the boldest in jesting and ridiculing those who choose to follow the truths of God's word. They were deeply convicted. This just wasn't a surface conviction. They were moved in their hearts. But the world pressed in around them. The influences of the world began to press in around them, and it pulled them away from that conviction. You know, the same thing happens today, right? We go to revival meetings. We go to camp meeting, if you will. We come to prophecy seminars, and we're moved. We're deeply convicted about whatever it is that we're hearing from the Word of God. And if we are not careful in getting rid of the worldly influences in our lives, we will follow the same example that the antediluvian world followed, who were deeply convicted by the most powerful preacher of their day, Noah. They were moved by that conviction, but they didn't get rid of the worldly influences in their lives. Now, listen, we're to, we're to witness to people, right? We want to reach out to the world. But we don't want the world to influence us. We want those influences away from us. We've got to get root those influences out and replace them with godliness and contentment. Another statement here, this is from 10 Manuscript Release, page 372. She says this, The classes who professed, listen to this, the classes who professed to acknowledge God were the ones who took the lead In rejecting the preaching of Noah, listen to this, and through their influence led others to reject that light. Have you ever met somebody who once knew God and left him? Have you ever met somebody who was an Adventist and left the church? You oftentimes find that those people, they spend much of their time trying to get others to what? Do the same thing. There are all kinds of anti-Christian websites on the Internet. There are all kinds of anti-Adventist websites on the Internet. And when you go to those websites, you will find one thing in common and one thing alone, and that is they're trying to get you to leave what you know to be right. And she's telling us this morning that that's exactly what happened in the antediluvian world. Those people who did not get rid of those worldly influences, who were once convicted for the truth but allowed the world to press in around them, they used their time and energy to pull people out of the ark instead of helping them get into the ark. Lord forbid that any one of us here this morning would be one of those people. Look at the faces of the wicked. There you find Noah's family. There you find people who once believed the truth that Noah was preaching, but have turned their hearts away. Outside of the ark, there were men and women who thought they knew the truth. They thought they had a relationship with God and a spiritual walk with him, but their religion was a religion of human devising and not one of divine building. As we continue to look at the faces of the wicked, we find a third group of people out there. And probably most of the people outside of the ark would fit into this category. They were the people who had witnessed great things in the several hundred years that the earth had been in existence up to that point. There were people out there who probably had talked with Noah. I'm sorry, who probably talked with Adam. There was about 126 years between when Adam died and Noah was born. So there were probably people that walked on the earth when Noah was building the ark who actually saw Adam and talked with them themselves. The man who God had created with his own hands, who did not have a mother and a father, but was drawn out of the dust of the ground. The man who saw the face of God, they could talk to that man. Would that be a great influence in your life? To talk to somebody who had seen the face of God, who had heard his voice, who had seen the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life and had eaten of those fruits? What an amazing opportunity they had at their disposal. But here's the thing I find out. As I look at these influences that the antediluvian world had upon them, as great as these influences were, influence is not enough to bring salvation to your life. We need good influences in our life. We need people that kind of help us move in the right direction. But that is not enough to assure your salvation. You cannot depend upon good influences alone to get you to the kingdom of heaven. Also, these people who witnessed great things on the outside of the ark, they were people who could walk with their own two feet and set their own two eyes upon this place called the Garden of Eden. Listen to this. Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, page 61 says this. The pure and lovely garden from which our first parents were driven remained until God purposed to destroy the earth by a flood. Could the antediluvian world see the, see the Garden of Eden, yes or no? Yeah? As no, They could listen to the message of Noah, and then they could use their feet and walk over and look with their own eyes right into the Garden of Eden, where God himself walked in the coolness of the day. They could look right into that perfect paradise that was created by God speaking it into existence. They could see the angel standing at the gate to the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword in his hand, uh, guarding the way to the tree of the knowledge of good, or to, to guarding the way to the tree of the knowledge of, or the tree of life. They could see it with their own eyes, yet that influence, as powerful as it was, is not enough to get them to make the right choice. Powerful influences these people had. Many of them, they knew Enoch themselves. They talked to him. Some of them were even related to Enoch, as we've already talked about. Still, these influences were not enough because influence is not enough to assure our salvation. Obedience to God, no matter the cost, is the only way. So as we stand with Noah and we look outside the ark, we see his family outside the ark good Christian people who were raised in a good home. We see good Christian people who were not all given to idolatry, but actually some of them thought that they were worshiping God outside of the ark. We see on the outside of the ark people who were afforded great opportunities and had great influences in their life. This fourth and final group I want to think about a little bit more because I think it comes to home those of us this morning. There was a fourth group of people that were standing outside the ark, and this was a group of people who had a very intimate relationship with this physical structure that Noah had built. They were the workers who spent their time and energy building the ark. The ark was an immense vessel. Noah could not have done it on his own, neither him or his three sons. There was a lot of help that was needed. Some five hundred and fifteen feet long, eighty-six feet wide. Uh, about 52 feet high or about three stories, somewhere around there. It took 120 years, as you know, for the construction of the ark to cut the trees down. In fact, we're told in the spirit of prophecy that the trees were of the, uh, were of the substance like rock. They were hard. It was not easy to mold and shape the the, the timbers that were used in the construction of the ark. There were a vast amount of people that were involved in the construction of the ark. And these men and maybe even some women were there day after day after day listening to Noah preach the message. They were at church every weekend. They heard every sermon that Noah preached. They were there working with their hands, hearing the appeals from the man of God. They were there working with their hands and listening to him pour his heart out to the people that had chose to gather there. And they continued to work. And they continued to work, laying the keel, cutting down the trees, painting the the ark with pitch, uh, putting the wooden bolts in and what have you. They were there and they heard the message of pleading from Noah himself. Yet... As we look through the eyes of Noah, not only does Noah look at his family, not only does he look at some of his fellow church members, but as Noah looks outside the ark for one last time, he sees these men and women that he was so well acquainted with who helped him in the actual building of the physical structure. He had talked with them. They communed, with, they developed relationships, and there they are on the outside. Their feet glued to the ground because they couldn't withstand the ridicule that was poured upon Noah being poured upon them. Manuscript release, page, uh, volume 18, page 260, says this. Listen carefully. <clears throat> there are those who will be like the men and women who helped build the ark. They hear the truth. They have every advantage to become people of moral worth, yet they will not choose the good society but The corrupt. Did you hear that? They they had every opportunity to be people of moral worth to make right decisions, but they will choose the corrupt path instead of the good society. She goes on: if there is an influence that is not heavenly, they will gather to their side and unite with them. And listen: and although they act apart in the preparation of the truth that is to fit people to stand in the day of the Lord, they will perish. In the general ruin, like Noah's carpenters who helped to build the ark. God help you that you may not be of that class. As I was reading this statement again this morning, I was just struck by this word that they act the part in the preparation of the truth to fit people to stand in the day of the Lord. They're acting like good Christians. They're acting like good Seventh-day Adventists. They're at every church service. They're listening to the messages. They're thinking about their own lives. They're helping to build this construction that's going to save them when the time of destruction comes. Yet, the worldly influences that were not rooted out of their lives have squelched and killed any possibility of spiritual growth in them. They acted the part but were destroyed when the flood came. You know, I think this comes really close to home for us because we're all builders of the ark. Whoever we are, wherever we are in our Christian experience, as members of this worldwide church, we are builders of the ark. Sure, there may be people who have specific jobs to job descriptions that are placed upon them, we have uh, ministers, we have evangelists, we have pastors, we have teachers, we have elders, we have deacons, deaconesses. You may not have one of those titles that have been bestowed upon you, but you are still a builder of this ark. And if I'm reading this statement correctly and, and applying the word of God, what it is telling me is that there are many within the ranks who are helping to build the ark But when that door is closed and probation shuts, there will be people who help to build this structure who will be on the outside of the ark. Because they chose the worldly influences instead of the influence of God. They were intimately acquainted with the construction of that ark. They put their hands, their blood, their sweat, and their tears into the building of the ark. There are some inside of our ranks who are doing the same exact thing. They're investing much time and energy into the cause of God, but they are not investing in a relationship with the Lord and rooting out the worldly influences in their lives. Remember, as we get close to the worldwide flood at the end of this world, the destruction of the earth, as Noah, we should be becoming more like God and less like the world. Not following the world, becoming more worldly and less like God. So as we look with Noah out of the ark, we see his family there. We see Christian people there. We see people who had good influences in their lives, good Christian influences we see people who are intimately acquainted with the message of Noah and the construction of the ark, but all of them chose to cast their lot on the side of the rebellious group. The first rule that is without exception, the first universal rule that is without exception is that all who disobey will be lost, will be lost. All who disobey will be lost. But the second universal rule that is without exception is that all who are obedient, finish it for me. Somebody say amen. Two universal laws that are without exception. All who are disobedient will be lost. All who are obedient will be saved. Irrespective of their social class, irrespective of their intellect, irrespective of how much they own or what, whatever it is, all who are disobedient lost, all who are obedient saved. It becomes very simple in the end. God does not complicate things for us. Go back with me. Genesis chapter 7. Let's look at this second principle just a little bit before we close things up. Genesis 7, 7. All who were obedient were saved. Genesis 7, 7. The Bible says, and Noah went in. What did Noah do? He did. He did. He went in. Why did he go in? Because in verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Noah followed that command. He came in. He went in. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Jump down a few verses. The verse 23, the last part of that verse, the Bible says, And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him were? In the ark. Why were they in the ark? Because they obeyed the command of God. They obeyed the plain and simple teachings of God's word. All who are obedient are saved. All who are disobedient will be lost. The Bible tells us about something that will happen in Revelation chapter 16. We know this to be the seven last plagues. You've probably studied it before. It's a time of... Uh, a terrible tribulation here on this earth. Men have great boils on their body. Uh, there's darkness. The uh, water's been turned into blood. Hailstone's about the weight of a town about 70 pounds. Earthquake, great earthquake that comes on the just a terrible time on this earth's history. But the Bible tells us that those who go through, the people of God that go through this time, the Bible says in Psalms 91 that no plague shall come nigh their dwelling. Amen? The Bible says in Psalms 91, Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Let me ask you a question. When Noah was inside that ark after seven days of sitting in there with nothing, no rain, no anything like that, and as they're sitting inside the ark, all of a sudden he hears splat, splatter, splash. And all of a sudden he feels that mighty thunder booming through the earth. And it rumbles it shakes the ark as he hears the torrents of water as the fountains of of the great deep begin to shoot into the air and fall down from the sky. And as he sees the lightning flash and the thunder crash, do you think he was thankful that he withstood all of that ridicule? Do you think he was thankful that he did what God told him to do for 120 years? Do you think he was thankful that even though he was held in universal contempt and all the world was against him, that he was inside the ark? Do you think he was thankful for that? Let me tell you something this morning, friends. When the seven last plagues are poured out and God's people are protected from those seven last plagues, I believe we, like Noah, will get down on our knees and say, Thank you, God. I like to think of that in my sanctified imagination that Noah kneels down on the ark as it's rumbling, as it's thundering, as it's raining, and he thanks the Lord. Thank you, Father, for leading me here into the ark of protection. When the seven last plagues are poured out, thank you, God, for leading me in the truth and putting me in the shelter of protection. When that happens, when those seven last plagues take place, let me tell you something, there will be rejoicing in our heart because we will know that it's only a short time and dear Jesus is coming. It'll be worth it in the end. Yeah, we'll go through some hard times, but it will definitely be worth it in the end. You know, Noah's not the only one who went in the ark, right? What else went in the ark? The animals went in the ark too, right? You know, Not all of the animals, but all the species. Some by two, some, you know, by sevens, they all went into the ark. And it's interesting to me, in, in Patriarchs and Prophets, she makes this one-liner. If you want, go back and read the whole chapter about Noah and the flood. It's just a fantastic chapter. But this one little line right here that just caught my attention, page 97, she says this, Animals obeyed the command of God, Well, men were disobedient. That's food for fodder, isn't it? Something to go back and think about a little bit. Here you have these dumb creatures that, that, that don't have much of an IQ that are, well, they have a great spiritual IQ, obviously, follow the command of God, they assemble themselves in some organized fashion, and they march themselves right inside the ark. The birds of the heavens, they fly themselves, they come right in, and, and I like to think they probably went straight into their cages. There was no wrestling. Noah was not out there setting traps and, you know, digging holes in the ground for the animals to fall in. And there was none of that taking place, although Hollywood might want you to think that way. But none of that. It was, it was a very calm thing that walked into the ark. The animals obeyed the command of God while men, the antediluvian world, man who was created in the image of God, had great IQ, could not fathom obeying the word of God. This boggles my mind when I think about the difference between the animal's obedience to God and man's disobedience. You know, it's interesting to me that the Lord allowed the wicked people on the outside of the ark, all those people we just studied about this morning, all of those people, he allowed them to see the animals go into the ark, did he not? They saw that thing take place. There was this this divine miracle, they knew this was not of human devising. Yet they could look at the ark, man made that ark. They were human beings. They watched the human beings build that ark. But there was no human involvement in bringing those animals into the ark. God performed a miraculous miracle to try to appeal to their hearts one more time. But even that mighty miracle, as mighty as it was, and how, you know, she says that, Ellen White says that they, they, they consulted the wise men of the time. And ask them, explain, how is this phenomenon happening? How stupid can you be? Don't go to wise men. Go to the one who is all wise and acknowledge the fact that God is performing a miracle and follow the animals. You could have been good enough to follow the wise man, Noah, into the ark, but now you have to follow the animals. I'd much rather follow Noah's example, amen? Amen. I'd much rather have Noah as my, uh, as my example in my life, not the animals, but no. They saw that thing happen, and they say, I'm staying here. I'm not getting in that ark. And the door of probation closed. God will manifest his power on behalf of his people right before the door of probation closes. I don't know what that's going to be, but he will do something. And it will appeal to the hearts of men. And there may be some that that, 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 that sense that this is something divine, but they are so set in their course of rebellion that they will not heed that God is performing a miracle. This is what I've learned over my time in ministry, and it's this. Sin is intoxicating. It's just like alcohol. And when you talk to somebody who's inebriated, when you talk to somebody who's under the influence, they cannot reason even if it is something that is plain and simple, like don't drink and drive. They just can't reason it out. It's just, it's hard for them because they are so, and sin is the same exact way. When we choose to indulge in sin, we are drinking spiritual alcohol. And when something plain as simple as a divine miracle takes place right in front of our eyes, we're so inebriated with sin that we cannot acknowledge that it's something that's happening from God. Lord, have mercy. Let's start weeding out the world out of our lives. Amen? And start weeding out the sin in our lives so that we can have a clear mind that can properly see the working of divine power. But I closed this morning with a statement that I read to you last week. And this is again from Patriarchs and Prophets. You'll recognize it because I made a big deal about it. Page 95, she says this. Talking about Noah, he gave the world an example of believing just what God says. Amen? If if the world wanted to know, what does God say? Who did they need to look at? Noah. He lived exactly what God said you ought to do. He gave the world an example of believing just what God says. And then she says this. All that he possessed, he invested in the building of the what. All that he possessed, all of his time, all of his energy, all of his means, everything that he possessed, he invested it, he dumped it in to the building of the ark, the place of safety when the worldwide flood came. Now, if it is in the days of, Noah, if it is today, as it was in the days of Noah. And if Noah, as he got closer and closer to the flood, was investing more and more into the building of the ark, as we get closer and closer to the end of the world, should we be investing more and more into the cause of God? I don't think any of you would argue with me that we are living in a crazy world right now. Adventists are good at seeing Bible prophecy being fulfilled in the news, but does it change what you're investing into the cause of God? Listen, we can talk about it until the cows come home. We can sit on our couch and say, man, the world is coming to an end. I read a quote just this past, I read an article just this past week and I thought to myself, you gotta be kidding me that this is happening. Our world is so messed up. But listen, that is not enough. As we get closer to the end of the world, we should be dumping more and more into the cause of God. And I'm not just saying your money, because you could put all of your money into the cause of God and still be on the outside of the ark. As we get closer to the end of this world, we should be putting more of our time, more of our energy, more of our money, more of our substance, more of everything that we have, we should be investing it into the cause of God because the world is coming to an end and we want to bring as many people with us into the kingdom of heaven as we can. But you know what? The devil's got us going in the other direction. He's keeping us so busy with our lives that we cannot invest in the cause of God. Now, listen, I know we've got to live our lives, but we also have to make choices. We're living on the cusp of the end of this world. Am I willing to make the investment to advance the cause of God? All that Noah, all that Noah possessed, he invested into the building of the ark. I heard a story from the great missionary Eric B. Hare about the Japanese army during his time in Burma. They were advancing and coming close to the mission station where he was stationed in Rangoon, Burma. And the choice had been made, the decision had been made by the people in charge that the missionaries would evacuate because the army was, they weren't very far away. So they were told they could pack one bag and then they'd have to go. So they're gathering their you know, few earthly possessions that they have, and they're putting it into this one bag. And while they're doing this, a lady comes into the mission compound, and she walks up to the the mission superintendent, the person in charge. She was a very wealthy lady, lived just down the road from the mission station. And she, like everybody else, was fleeing from the invading army. And she came to the mission superintendent, and she says, listen, I have to evacuate because the army is coming, and I can't take all of my possessions with me. I've left my house pretty much as it is, and I've taken just a few of my possessions. I want to donate everything to the mission work. You guys are doing such a great work. You're helping people in our area. You're doing such a good thing with medical missionary work and all that. I want to give it all to you because I just can't bear the thought of the enemy gaining possession of my stuff. The mission superintendent told the lady, he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, we're evacuating too, and we can only take one bag with us. If you had come just three months ago, we could have used everything that you are wanting to donate to help people out. We could have used every chair, every table, every, every stitch of anything. We could have used it. We could have used your house. We could have used it all, and we would have been able to help it many, many people. But it's just too late now. Eric Behair was standing to the side; he was kind of eavesdropping on this conversation. And as he watched the lady, after she heard this, he watched her turn away, and with her wealthy scarf in her hand, in her face, she had the scarf. Her face was in her scarf, and he heard her mutter the words. Oh, how I wish. Oh, how I wish. I think you can fill in the blank. You know what she was wishing for. Friends, we don't want to get to that point where we wish we had done more. Now's the time. The army is assembling. The forces of darkness are gathering. But God's people have been called to lift up a standard, and to preach like Noah. Now is the time for us to do investment work into the cause of God. I don't know what that means for you. Some of us have more time than others. Some of us have more energy than others. Some of us have more money than others. I don't know what it means, but I want to appeal to you this morning that you would go home and pray, Father, how can I invest more, not less? How can I invest more? into the cause of God and the building up of your kingdom. Would you say amen to that? Is that your desire? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can invest, that you've called us, Lord, to be partakers in this great work. And, Father, it's a terrifying thought to think about our family on the outside, To think about brothers and sisters, other Christians on the outside. To think about men and women who've had great influences in their life on the outside. To think about workers in our church who are working to advance the cause on the outside. It's a terrifying thought, Lord, that we would see these people that we have grown to love and appreciate on the outside. It's a terrifying thought that we may be one of them on the outside. Father, we're not motivated by fear. We're motivated by what we will receive one day. And not just the mansion and the streets of gold and the, and all that stuff. What we will receive that we are looking forward to, Father, is being with you in eternity. Father, I pray that in the midst of all of this, that you would show us how we can invest more in the cause of God. I know we're, some of us are just so strung out, Lord, there's just so much busyness in our lives that We can't, as we sit here today, we we can't fathom the thought of of another thing on our plate. Father, I pray that you would show us our schedule in a way that we've never seen it before. That you would arrange things right in front of our eyes that would open up time, that would open up our schedule, that would open up our means, whatever it may be, to be able to invest more and more in the cause of God as we get closer and closer to the end days. May we follow that example of Noah and live the righteous life that he lived. Bless us to this end, Lord, I pray. Keep us faithful to you. For without you, this is absolutely impossible. We pray it in the almighty and all-powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org